Welcome to the Compounding Center Connections, where we talk about different health conditions with our partner practitioners. I'm your host, Jay Gill, a compounding pharmacist from the Compounding Center in Leesburg, Virginia. At the Compounding Center, we collaborate with practitioners, create custom medications to help our patients get better. So in this episode, we have Dr. Darudian, who specializes in pediatric optometry and myopia control. We're going to discuss the use of low-dose atropine eye drops to control the progression of childhood myopia. So Dr. Darudian uh, has joined Dr. Melissa Kern at the uh, Arlington Loudoun uh, Pediatric Ophthalmology Place. And uh, Dr. Darudian, could you please uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a pediatric optometrist. I've been doing pediatric optometry for the last 10 years. Um, I've been also focused on myopia control for the last 10 years. I recently joined with Dr. Melissa Kern, like you mentioned. We have offices in Sterling and in McLean. So uh, now it's uh, both uh, ophthalmologists and optometry in the same place. So very convenient for uh, parents uh, uh, and, and the kids. Yeah, absolutely. So the practice had had a large focus on surgeries and really complex um, medical care. I still do that complex medical care, but no surgeries for me. We focus, uh, my, my personal focus is more on myopia control, contact lenses, uh, fitting specialty lenses, of course, and um, myopia control with atropine, especially. Okay. So before we get started, I have just a basic uh, disclaimer that the information discussed today is for informational purposes only, not for diagnosis. So let's get started. So Dr. Darudian, um, uh, can we take a few minutes and talk about what is myopia and what is happening to the eye? Yeah. So myopia, otherwise known as nearsightedness, is actually two things. It is the blurriness that we get from the eye stretching out. And when I say stretching out, what I mean is from the front to the back of the eye, it's physically getting longer. Uh, this is something that affects millions and millions of people across the world. It is not a new problem. It's a very, very old problem, actually, but it's becoming more and more prevalent over the years. This generation of children has the highest rates of myopia um, ever, wow. <laughs> not ever full stop period. So it is a, um, a, a very big problem um, that is associated with, with some harm to the eye health. Gotcha. So um, I guess it's very critical to have early diagnosis of this. And could you talk to us about some uh, common symptoms that a parent could look out for? Yeah. So the most common symptom that you might see is your kid squinting, or they might fail a school or pediatrician screening. 
But most of my patients that are in the chair and most of the parents that bring them in have absolutely no idea that there's a problem. Um, that absolutely nothing is honestly the biggest sign and symptom that parents complain of. They, they think nothing's wrong because it's something that happens very, very gradually. Um, so my recommendation for all parents out there is that they should be having routine, regular, annual eye exams with an eye doctor, not just relying on the pediatrician screening or the school screening because screenings are not full eye exams. So at what age do you recommend eye exams to you start getting eye exams done? Yeah, I think routine exams should start at age three. Of course, okay. if there's any concerns earlier than that, then you want to bring them in sooner. But uh, we should be seeing routine eye exams starting at age three so that we can really be on top of things rather than trying to play catch up. For myopia specifically, what we're finding is that the earliest that it starts, or the earlier that it starts, the much more problematic it becomes because the children who develop myopia earlier tend to end up with much higher prescriptions and are at much higher risk for eye health issues like glaucoma, retinal detachments, or something called maculopathy, which is basically not seeing well from the center of your vision. Okay. So um, one of the treatment options, um, actually, if you want to talk about um, not only the, uh, the, the main treatment option that we're talking about tonight, but also other treatment options uh, for the myopia. And if you could also touch upon uh, um, I actually go ahead and talk about that and then we'll come back to the atropine. Yeah, of course. So there are three in the United States, there are three main um, treatment options to help slow down the progression of myopia. Um, two of them involve contact lenses. So one is a daytime wear contact lens. One is a nighttime wear contact lens. We won't touch on those too, too much today. Um, but the, the third option is actually an eye drop. And most of the time when I talk to parents about this, they're really, um, they get nervous because, you know, I've just put a bunch of eye drops or my technicians have just put a bunch of eye drops in their eyes and the kids didn't like it. But I do assure them that these drops that we use for long-term treatment of atropine of, of myopia is actually, um, they don't sting. They're not quite so um, problematic as the ones that we use in the office. So, so atropine is is that eye drop that I was mentioning. Gotcha. So how uh, how does it exactly work and how effective is it for controlling the progression of myopia? Great question. So we don't a hundred percent know how it works. We know that it works. We know that it's pretty effective at slowing down how quickly things, um, things progress with myopia. Um, atropine is a medication that has been around for decades. It's been FDA approved at 1% um, for children three months old and up since 1960. So it's an yeah. old medication. We've been using it in the eye care industry specifically for other reasons. And during some kind of accidental testing um, during a clinical trial, they, they learned that, oh, hey, if we dilute it, 
it's actually really effective at slowing down uh, the rate of myopia. So we've done a bunch of studies on that. We know that it's effective at about, you know, depends on the, the dose. It depends on the kid. It depends. There are a lot of factors that it depends on, but we know that it's effective to about somewhere between 50 to 70%, depending on what study you look at. Okay. And so is the child going to be, uh, is going to be on this long-term, um, is a child, could a child be on both contacts and the eye drops, uh, combination? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dual therapy is absolutely something that we do. It's not necessary for a lot of people, but it is something that we definitely know can work. We do have a pretty good understanding about how the optical options, so at how the contact lens options and soon to becoming spectacle options, um, we do have a very good idea about specifically how those work. With atropine, it's not the same mechanism of action. So um, we know, we don't 100% know how atropine is being so effective at slowing things down. There are some proposed mechanisms, um, but we do know that it works differently than the optical options. So in some cases we can combine those two treatments and find that to be really helpful. Okay, and would you say, is it safe to use for long periods of time for years and years? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said before, um, atropine has been in use since 1960 in children three months old and up at much, much stronger concentrations than what we use for myopia control. So what we do, well, I don't do this. You guys do this. You compound the medication and you, you make it so that it is a much lower concentration. And these kids are able to stay on this for, for years without any type of ocular side effects or systemic side effects. The biggest thing that we see with side effects with low dose atropine is some light sensitivity and some blurriness at near. And honestly, for the most part, those tend to resolve all by themselves in the first few weeks. So I'm gonna take some, share some insight um, on how we actually compound the low-dose atropine. Um, so, you know, you mentioned it's, uh, it's, it already comes manufactured at a 1% concentration. So at the compounding center, we basically take that 1% and dilute it by a hundredfold to uh, create the low dose atropine 0.01%, the most common strength used. And what happens is by diluting it by a hundredfold, you've kind of diluted the preservative that, it, that the product has in it by a hundredfold, making it practically negligible. And hence the product uh, the preservative has no uh, properties left of preserving the product at all. So it is uh, essentially preservative free. And what we do is uh, actually, I want to compare, um, I want to show a bottle of Sustain, which you probably recommend every day uh, to your sure. parents. It's a lubricating eye drop, and they actually package it in a uh, preservative-free dropper bottle. It's designed for eye drops that are preservative-free. 
and so do uh, so do we. We package it in this particular eyedropper bottle. It is what we call the closed container. Um, it delivers, you know, a single drop at a time, and hopefully the camera will catch it. Um, there we go. And so therefore, you know, it doesn't allow any air to get into the bottle. It's a closed unit, okay? So the product remains sterile. And uh, the key point being, it is preservative-free. Now, some, some of you may recognize that you may be getting the product in a bottle such as this. It's an open container and it's exposed to air continually for the number of days and months that you're using this for and it's being exposed to contaminants and possibly can get contaminated. So that's how we compound it. And one other thing, uh, the atropine eye drops that we make uh, can be stored at room temperature. So, um, uh, you know, there, it actually comes with a uh, beyond use date of six months. So usually parents will, you know, get about three months supply at a time. Um, so that's how we compounded, and I want the parents to be aware of and, you know, kind of expect what the product should be packaged in properly, if it's a preservative-free, if it's made preservative-free. Yeah, and to your point, I've practiced in multiple states. I've been prescribing low-dose atropine for 10 years, and the quality of the product impacts the quality and efficacy of the treatment. So when a patient is getting a compounded medication, the quality can vary tremendously. So knowing where you're getting your medications is really, really important. Awesome. And uh, I am going to ask you one of the questions before I, I forget. I think you touched upon this a little bit, but when you... Uh, could you just talk about the importance of monitoring the progression? Because there could be some downstream effects that you're trying to prevent as an adult. Could you kind of uh, talk about that and impress how important that is? Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, ultimately, what we're trying to do is reduce the risk of eye disease. I don't necessarily care what someone's actual glasses prescription comes to. People who are nearsighted, I'm very nearsighted, for example, when I wear my glasses or contact lenses, I see great, okay? So what's the problem? Myopia is much more than just a glasses prescription. What we're trying to achieve is a reduction in the risk of factors like retinal detachments, which can be mm. blinding and can happen at a very young age. What we're trying to prevent is glaucoma. We're trying to prevent maculopathy and we're trying to prevent cataracts. And how we prevent that is by reducing the progression or the continued increase of the length of the eye. So that axial length is the length measured from the very front of the eye to the very back of the eye. And when we are growing children, they naturally are gonna get bigger. And so too, their eyes get bigger. Myopic children, they have eyes that grow too fast, too, wow. just very, very long, and it's too fast. 
So I might have a seven-year-old who has the same length of an eye as an adult male. That's problematic because they're going to continue to grow for the next 10, maybe 15 more years. So we know that there is a direct relationship between the length of the eye, that axial length, and the risk of vision loss. So vision loss that occurs as an adult. So when we're evaluating these kids, we're not just saying, oh, well, you have this kind of prescription, you have this kind of prescription. We're doing a full examination. We're checking the length of the eye. We are making sure that both things stay stable, the length of the eye and the prescription. Both things need to be true. Kids are gonna continue to grow, but we want them to grow at the same rate as those other myopic, as those other children who are not myopic, right? So yeah. we have rates of growth and we know what should be normal versus what's too quick, right? Yeah. And so when we're not monitoring them on regular intervals, then things can just escalate kind of quickly. The other reason that I monitor my um, myopia control patients, I see them, depending on the case, either every three months or six months, depending on what we're doing um, and the severity of their case. The other reason is because atropine, when you use low-dose atropine, it doesn't feel bad to use. It's quite easy to use. It's, it's very easy, actually. And it's a little too easy. And so kids <laughs> can forget to do it. So uh, part of our established follow-up schedule is to check in regularly, almost like you would with a teacher or a coach or someone who's giving you lessons of some kind, just to make sure, hey, are you doing your homework? <laughs> are yeah. you using your drops? Right? Because if you see them only every year, okay, so you prescribed atropine, uh, you know, 12 months ago, they've, you know, so many things happen in the lives of busy families. And yeah. so it's important to have regular check-ins to make sure not only is the treatment effective, but are there any barriers that are making it hard for the family to do that treatment effectively? Because the treatment only works if we do it, right? And so yeah. the biggest issue that we have with atropine has nothing to do with side effects. It has to do with whether it's actually getting done, right? So having these regular check-ins where they come in, they're checking on their growth, they're checking on their prescription, we're reinforcing these good habits, um, that's essential for good care. How many uh, patients would you say you have in your myopia clinic that you're currently managing? A lot. <laughs> um, so the... I couldn't put a number on it. I don't, I, I, I don't know <laughs> a lot, a lot. The majority of my patients are myopia control patients. Um, the, this is your expertise. This, this is, is your my expertise. Yeah. This is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I'm getting my fellowship in myopia control. I have been treating these patients since before it was cool. <laughs> and, um, you know, before it was kind of, now it's become a little bit more trendy. I, it's been something that's been passionate for me from when I first started practicing, because to me, uh, as I mentioned, I have a very high prescription. So 
if I thought when I was growing up that there was something that I could do yeah. to slow things down so that I wouldn't have such a high prescription now, I would have jumped on it. And in fact, I had a wonderful optometrist when I was growing up who tried all the different things that were available at the time and nothing worked because all the things that were tried were ineffective treatments. And now we are really, really fortunate that we have three very effective treatments. And to me, it just doesn't make sense to not utilize them all the time for every single case. There is no safe amount of myopia. So, you know, there is no, oh, well, this person only has a really low prescription. No, there, there is no safe amount. Even people with a pretty low prescription can still be at a doubled risk of a retinal detachment. Um, and those can be devastating to the vision. So to me, it just didn't, <laughs> there was no world in which I could be a, an eye doctor and not be doing myopia control. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, one last question. Uh, what are some unhealthy habits that you or we need to warn parents about and what are your recommendations, uh, you know, sure. what to do? So <sighs> <laughs> big sigh. Um, <laughs> there are uh, probably every single day I'm asked about screen time. Yeah. Okay. And um, it's something that is extremely pervasive in our society. We're not getting rid of screens anytime, to, any, anytime soon. Technology is here with us for the long haul, right? Um, so how can we keep our kids safe eye-wise? There's lots yeah. of, there, I'm not the kind of doctor to talk about content, but um, you know, when we're talking about just keeping our eyes healthy, on screens, it is extremely important that we set boundaries for our children. Um, kids, that school age kids, between the ages of five and 17, they really should not be getting more than two hours a day of screen time. Oh, wow. When I say screen time, I'm yeah. really most focused on screens that are arms distance and closer. So your tablet, your computer, your cell phone. I don't actually care too much about te television. I think that's a good place for compromise. Yeah. Um, but we should also be encouraging outdoor time. Outdoor time is awesome. It's magical. Um, the sun is really, really beneficial for not just our eyes and our visual system, but our physical health and our mental health. So being outside, trying to strive for two hours a day outside should be really the priority. And I like to lead with that with, for parents that are wondering about screen time. If we're prioritizing outdoor time, we might not have enough time in the day for extra screen time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. So Dr. Darudian, you know, thank you very much for joining us and you've shared a lot of good information. Um, how can someone reach out to you? Um, it, it just, I, I'll, I'll try to make sure to put the contact information in the show notes, but um, can they reach out to you uh, via? Yeah, yeah so you can. Or anything like that? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can shoot me an email. My email is I, the letter I, Dr. Tina, doctors spelled out um, at gmail.com or uh, that same handle on Instagram also works. Great. Um, so, well, everyone, thank you very much for tuning into the Compounding Center Connections podcast. We hope you found the information presented to you be helpful. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me at j at compoundingcenter.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel, the Compounding Center Connections, and stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you, Dr. Darudian. Thank you for having me.